Welcome to the craziness that lives inside my head. This is Eric, and this is my Halloween show. This podcast, I'm dedicating it, Halloween, to the queens that made my show in the Bronx, Strange Fruit, famous. You know who you are, queens out there, and podcast land. <laughs> okay. Today, I should say in this podcast, I'm going to speak on Halloween Pass and the days of the disco and 70s. I want to talk about four Halloweens and the things that happen on those Halloweens when you're not, uh, how can I put it, when you're gay, horny, and desperate. So, first thing I want to talk about is Halloween of 1979. 1979, I had gotten back from being stranded out in San Francisco in the Embarcadero living in the in the park drinking wine my mother for money plain fair money to <clears throat> a friend of a friend of mine who lived in Oakland at the time and knew where I was and got me on the plane and I got back to New York City first place I headed to was the YMCA on 135th Street and 7th Avenue in Harlem. Why I went there? Because it was a SRO, single room occupancy. And at the time, that's all I could afford. Lucky for me, I still had my job at Hearst Corporation. So I had a job. I didn't have any job out in San Francisco, but I had a job to come back to. So there I was working as a transporter day in the daytime. At night, I would hang out on 42nd Street. Why on 42nd Street? Well, I was in McCann's Bar. Those, they had the cheapest drinks. You get two for one. You buy one drink, you get two. They had that, I think, over to 9 o'clock, 8 o'clock at night. I don't know. They stayed over to all night, but that that's what you got. If you got there early enough, you can you can get high, and then you go home to your room, go to sleep, and get up in the morning and go to work. So this one night, I was there. I hung out, and I stayed, you know, I stayed there. Got high, as usual, with my two-for-one drinks, my 10 bucks, 10 bucks back then. Could you imagine two for one? A drink was a dollar thirty-five, and I had ten bucks. Can you imagine how much drink I, how much I can drink? So anyway, I'm heading down. Uh, I guess it's towards Seventh uh, Avenue to take the Seventh Avenue train up to uh, 135th Street. And before I got, well, I got on the train. I got now 42nd Street. I got off 135th Street. That's a good one. 
30 minute ride maybe. Anyway, I get off the train at 135th Street. I'm walking up the stairs. As soon as I get up on the top step, this guy stopped me. He said, Granted, now, this is, 19, this is 1979. It's still just as scary if it happens today. He stopped me, tapped me on the shoulder. Hey, how, how you doing? I just want to let you know that I followed you from the bar. Now, that's scary. He followed me from the bar. He followed me all the way to 135th Street on the train from the bar. So right away, I'm thinking he's going to rob me. I mean, this is Harlem, 135th Street and 7th Avenue. This is Harlem. I'm quite sure he's going to follow me, you know, and just rip me off. So he said that he liked me and he wants to get to know me. Wow. Now, imagine being close to 400 pounds desperately for love. When a guy, now mind you, he wasn't, he was a regular black guy with thick, thick, thick glasses, and he was on the chubby side. But the fact is that he followed me all the way to 135th Street because he liked me. I didn't know what to do. I was ecstatic. So anyway, I said to him, well, I live in an SRO, and they don't allow visitors, which they don't. They didn't. Whatever. He said, don't worry. I used to, I used to work there. I can get in. And I said, okay, okay. Then he said, what's your room number? So being like a dummy, I didn't believe him anyway. So I figured he can't get in because he had a security guard and all that. He can't get in. So I figured, what the hell? I gave him my room number. And I'm going to be quite, quite honest with you. I was taken aback. Like I said, he was very Irish looking. He wore these thick Magoo glasses. Those of you who my age know what, what Magoo glasses are. Those thick, thick glasses. And he was on the chubby side. You know, even, it's funny, when even being 400 pounds and desperate for love, you still prejudice against the, the men that don't look gorgeous. I guess that goes, I guess that's just from being human. So anyway, I get to my room. I'm up in my room, maybe I'll go 15, 20 I don't want to say 20 minutes. It wasn't too long up there. I'm getting ready for bed. There was a knock at the door. I'm like, Who, who's, knocking? I, who's knocking at my door? And as, I, cause I didn't know anybody. I just moved, moved there from San Francisco. I didn't know anybody. So anyway, I opened the door. It was him. It was him. And he introduced himself. His name was Bernard. So, Mr. Bernard, I let him in. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you, he was reeking with alcohol, but so was I. I let him in. And uh, this is how shadow some gay men are. I'm going to be honest with you, back in the day, I was shadow like everybody else. Like I just said to you, he had his Mr. Magoo glasses, his little chubby, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to be, and I'm going to be deadly honest. When he took off his clothes, it was another story. I mean, it was another story. He had a pretty nice piece. And you know how gay men are, size queen. Yes, I was a size queen back then. Yes, he had a pretty nice piece. He spent the night and we had sex. Okay. Woke up the next morning. Told me that he, he uh, worked for the parks department. And he was going to come back 
the next day. You know, that night when I get up from work. Okay. Got up from work. No burn on. No burn on. Next day, no burn on. Next day was Halloween night. Now, Halloween night. This is when they just started having the Halloween parade on Christopher Street. So, Halloween night. I had called my friend Richie. Those of you who have been listening to my podcast. Richie's a friend of mine. Big queen. So, she said, oh, you're coming out tonight? I said, yes, it's Halloween. Oh, yeah. You should be able to get the men tonight because they're going to be drunk. They'll go out with anybody. Well, that's my friend Richie. I said, yeah, yeah, I'm coming out tonight. So anyway, I'm all dressed and perfumed and ready to go out. So I knock on my door. I want the door with burn on. And I said, well, what do you want? He said, I, 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 I want to be with you. And I said, well, you had your chance. He said, well, something came up, and I did this and that. And, you know, these men, was, something will always come up for them not to, if they, when, when they're not on time or not uh, to do a stand or whatever you want to call it, it's, there, something comes up, but they never tell you what it is that comes up. Anyway, so I said, no, I'm going out to the bar. I'm going down to the village. He said he wants to go with me, and I told him he can't go with me. So he said, why can't I not go with you down to the bar and hang out? And I said to him, I said, well, if you come with me down to the village, to the bar, and and a guy wants to, wants to go out with me and have sex with me, uh, what are you going to do? He goes, I'll kick his ass because you're mine. And I'm like, oh, I don't think so. I said, you had your chance. You don't get second chances here. So anyway... He started to, he blocked the door. He said, no, I want you. I want you. So, you're not, he said, you're not going anywhere. I want you. So anyway, I said to him, I said, look, we could do this another time. And then he said to me, I thought you said you loved me. And I burst out laughing. I said, ha, me love you. As ugly as you are with them stupid glasses and fat, you think I'm going to love something like you? Well, you know what happened. Yes, I hurt his feelings. But he took out a knife. He was going to stab me. He said, he took the knife, I put it in my throat. He goes, I'm going to fuck you tonight. And and you're going to be my bitch. And you ain't going nowhere. So, he made me take off my clothes. And then, the interesting thing was, he tried to fuck me, but it couldn't get hard. He was reeking with alcohol, so he must have drank so much that he couldn't get it up. And I laughed and laughed and laughed and said, you can't even get it up in anything. And I said, I'm out of here. He said, no, you're not. I'm out of here. I, I tried to put my clothes on. He took the clothes out of my hand. He said, no. He said, either you stay here with me or I'm going to stab you. I don't think, I hope he didn't say I'm going to kill him. I'm not sure. So I said, no, you're not like that. So he put the knife to my, my neck and then he made me bend over. 
And I'm like, okay. I knew he couldn't, he couldn't fuck me because his thing wouldn't get hard. But then I'm bent over, that door, the doorknob was right there, and I'm all bent over. And I look, in the corner of my eye, he was going to take the knife and plunge the knife up my ass. I said, oh, oh, shit. So anyway, as soon as I heard, as soon as he raised his, his, his hand, his arm, I grabbed the door, because there's only one door. My bed is here, the door is there. I grabbed that door. Now, I'm stuck naked. I ran out that room screaming like the biggest sissy in Harlem. Now, mind you, this is an SRO that had four floors of, of single rooms. And most of those rooms were occupied by gay men. You, you, think, it, you think any of those queens were, were, came out to help me? I, got, I didn't even take the elevator. I ran down the, what they call the, the stairway, supposed to be the emergency stairway. We couldn't afford to take the elevator. I ran down the stairway. I'm out in the lobby. Stop naked. I screamed for the, uh, the security guard was right there. And I'm screaming for the security guard. He's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. And they said, what are you talking about? I said, this guy in my room is going to kill me. And they looked at me like I was crazy because you're not supposed to have anybody in your room. He said, what guy like that? Because they saw me come in. I was alone. I said, no, he's going to kill me. His name is Bernard. He's going to kill me. So anyway, they we followed me upstairs. Got to my room, Bernard was gone. Now, now Bernard is gone. And now all the queens are out of their rooms being nosy. You know how these queens are. They love to be nosy. So anyway, I got dressed. And I went out down on Halloween night after that and party. And I told Richie the story. And Richie laughed. <laughs> oh, well, you're such a big queen. If you were, if he, if, he must be a queen too, but he was a man. He would have beat you up and fucked your ass. But he probably was a queen too. Two bottoms trying to do it. <laughs> oh, well, I want to slap that bitch upside the head. Anyway, so I go home. The bar's closed at four. I'm home in the bed at six. I got to be out. I got to be at work. Well, I worked, the, I worked the afternoon shift, so I didn't have to be at work like one. But there was a knock on my door. No, there wasn't a knock. There was somebody pushed a piece of paper under my door in my room and I got up and I read the paper and it was I was being evicted they evicted me and the reason for it, they don't tolerate such behavior in the YMCA I put a bad name on them for, for doing what I did so I got away I got away that time That's that was my Halloween for uh, uh, 1979. I could have got I could have got stabbed to death, but I didn't. There must be a guardian angel looking after me. Halloween 1979 with Bernard. Well, now we're gonna move on to Halloween 1980. Well, what could possibly happen after that? Well, I'm down in my uh, Halloween 1980. I'm hanging out at McCann's. It's called McCann's Bar on 42nd Street between 6th Avenue and Broadway. I'm over there and um, I'm sitting there drinking the two for ones, shaking my booty to the disco, to the, you know, to the disco beat. And it, then it, it dawns on me that this guy was cruising me. Wasn't a bad looking guy. Another black guy. was a bad looking. He was cruising me. Cruising me, mind you. 
And he said he wanted to go, he wanted, he liked me, he bought me a drink. Hmm, he bought me a drink. He lived in the Bronx. And then he did something that was very interesting. Uh, he stood up, and I'm sitting there at the ball, you know, you know, you sit at the ball. And he was behind me, and he rubbed something on me. He rubbed his dick, his dick on me. And it was not small, by no means. I hit the jackpot. <laughs> at least I thought so, anyway. So there's me, the size queen, the fat size queen, shadow, like every other gay man, shadow. I shouldn't say every other gay man, but you know, have some, you know, I guess some women are the same way. But anyway, I go down to, I shouldn't say, I went up, I followed him up to his house. We got on the train. He lived in the Bronx. We got off, had to be, I guess, it, I don't, I'm quite sure, it was the elevator train. I think it was the, on, no. I think it was on either the D line or the IRT line. I'm not quite sure. I think it was the IRT line. It was elevated. You had to walk down the stairs, right? And we went up this. Now, mind you, this is in the 70s, and half of the Bronx was, was burnt down. So he lived in this block with, with abandoned, burnt down buildings. He lived on the first, we went inside his door. It looked like it, it, looked like it was dilapidated and, and nobody. I couldn't believe anybody lived there. He lived on the first floor, and it had no lock on it. He and we went in, and after we went in, he put uh, a chair and something up the door, I guess, to to make sure no one can get in. And he was living there. I'm quite sure he was living there rent free. There was nobody living in that building, but as far as I know, there was nobody living in that building but him. And even and even in in his apartment, it, it was dilapidated, falling down. So, there I was, sitting, he took his clothes off, he's laying in the bed, and he says to me, come and get this dick. And I said, wow. Well, I didn't like the way he said, come and get me dick like I'm a little piece of trash. But anyway, wow. It was quite large. So anyway, I get up there, we start kissing, and he started playing, you know, playing with my, my nipples and, and, and everything, and then he starts feeding my, my butt. And then he tried to insert it inside me, which wouldn't fit. I said, it's not going to fit. Aren't you going to use some grease or whatever? He laughed and laughed and laughed. He said, no, I'm going to have to teach you how to take this dick. But I know, he said, I know a lot of old men who will pay a lot of money for you. And I said, oh, in fact, when I said, oh, he was on top of me. And I don't know where the hit came up, but he tied me up. He tied me up. He said that I belonged to him, and he was going to be my pimp, and he was going to sell me to these old men that would pay a lot of money for my virgin ass. Literally, you know, it wasn't that virgin, but my for my for my big fat hairy ass. He claimed he had a, a whole clientele just waiting for. Us. Somebody my size, because a lot of men do like big boys. Well, now mind you, this didn't really sink in, because I was drinking all night. Until I was tied up, and he fell asleep, and I'm laying there thinking, well, how the hell am I going to get out of this one? And then I fell asleep, 
And then he woke me up the next morning. He said, I'm going to let you put your clothes on. I'm going to untie you. I'm going to let you put your clothes on. And he get mind you, oh, I forgot to tell you the good part. He, he took my, well, he took my, he tied me up, of course. He took my wallet. And, and, um, he, he, he took my wallet. Next morning, gave me $10 out of my money. Untied me and told me, put my, I said, put your clothes on. He had a knife also, a nice long knife. He said, I need a pack of cigarettes. Go down and buy me a pack of cigarettes. And it was, it was, um, I guess it was a bootlegger because there were no stores here. He told me the girl was like three, three, three buildings away. Go in the basement, just knock on the door and tell me you want a pack of cigarettes. Just to feel, I bet you, with those strong ones. So, and then he said, and you better not run away because I can catch up to you and I can, and I'll kill you if you try to run. And that's when he took the knife like he, he didn't stab me or anything. He just put the knife over here. He said, you run away, I will catch you and I will kill you. Because he's right, like, I was fat, I can't run. But I want to tell you something. I went down and he was standing there. He had, he, he was, I, was, I don't know why he didn't go get the damn cigarettes. Probably he was, you know, who knows why he couldn't get the cigarettes. Anyway, he's standing there. And I'm walking down, the three doors down, and I go in the basement. And yes, I knocked on the, the window. It was a basement apartment, knocked on the window. And the guy opened the, opened the window and said, what do you want? And I told him what I want. He handed me the, the cigarettes. And I started to go back. And then I realized that that building was on the corner. And then I said, well, it was on the corner. And then it was one of those small blocks away from the, the, the train, the train station. And I said, well, I'm going to take a shot. I know I can't run. He probably would outrun me. But I said, I'm going to take a shot. I'm not going to go right back there, you know, have him tie me up again. So I did. I took my fat little legs and I ran to the, to the, I ran to the corner and I ran up the block, that half block. There was a cab, a gypsy cab. I, I held the gypsy cab. And he was right behind me. And I jumped to the gypsy cab and I told him I was, at that time I was living with my, my folks in Spanish Harlem. And I said, take me to Spanish Harlem. Gypsy cab took off. And that's how I escaped that Halloween. But let me tell you, that was an experience. I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of gay men who find being slaves and all that stuff uh, exciting and, 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 and you know, but for me, it may be a fantasy. And your fantasy, you could find somebody that will do that, tie you up and all that. But when you really tie it up and the person is a crazy person and they're really, really serious and going to make you their slave, that is, for me, that was not very, uh, <laughs> I was not aroused by that anyway. And that was my Halloween, 1980. So now we're going to come to the Halloween that got me sober. And that was the Halloween of 1983. I got sober in 1984. And I've been sober since 1984. But this incident is what got me sober. I was at my friend Robert House. We worked together on Wall Street. We both were uh, what they call uh, reporters. 
he had a, a, an apartment up in uh, Washington Heights by the park uh, up there by the park on Broadway and what was it Broadway on 184th Street that's he lived on Broadway on 184th Street around in that area not far from the park um, he had a one-bedroom apartment on oh, 193rd Street that's what it was 193rd Street on Broadway he lived on that block and he came home from work now he had a lover they were lovers. I wouldn't know how long they was lovers because uh, Robert had so many lovers, you know, like a lot of gay men back then in those days. They have some some guys change lovers like they change their socks, as they say. But anyway, he had a new lover named Rick. And Rick was, I would tell you that Rick was hot. I'm surprised a skinny thing like her can get a, a man like Rick. So there we were in this kitchen getting high. And he was kicking Rick out because he was tired of Rick. Rick wasn't really paying him in rent or anything. I think Rick was working. I think Rick was a dishwasher, but for some reason, Rick wasn't, you know, paying the rent and he wanted Rick out. So we just bought our angel dust. We just bought a bottle of, of well, a bottle of 151 proof rum and Coke, the soda Coke and real Coke and angel dust. So we're in the kitchen getting high, and uh, he was in the bedroom with Rick. They was fighting. I heard him making all this noise, cursing and turning. So he told me, "Get out, get out! I don't want you in here. Get out!" And Rick is saying, "But I love you. I love you. Now I want you out of here." And then he pushed Rick out the door, locked Rick up, and then he came to the kitchen laughing. <laughs> He's so stupid. He's so stupid. You know how these bad He's so stupid. And then we got high. with us smoke some cocaine, smoke some dust, drink some um, rum. Then we had a, heard a banging on the door. First we heard the sirens outside the house. Then we heard banging on the door. It was the fire department. He said, there's a fire in here. We got to report there's a fire in here. And Robert goes, there's no fire in here. And then he goes, well, somebody called and reported a fire. Rick was behind, coming up the steps behind the, the, the fireman, and Rick goes, I call. So the fireman said, that's a false alarm. And Rick goes, yeah, but he wouldn't let me back in my in the apartment to get my clothes. And the fireman said, you can't do that. That's a, he said, we, we, will, we will let you go this time to Rick, but you can't, don't do it again. So now Robert was enraged. They get back in and, and, and he let Rick back in the house and they, they're fighting again, they're arguing in the bedroom and he's screaming at him and, and it, it was it was a mess. I don't know, it was a, I heard it was a mess, but you know, I'm busy smoking my, my uh, angel dust and snorting some cocaine and, and drinking rum, you know, I, let the, I, I thought it was fun, I was very entertained, you know, anyway. So Robert come back to the kitchen and we are having, you know, getting high again. I said, well, where, what's Rick doing? He said, Rick is pack, packing his clothes. So anyway, we're still getting high, listening to the music, gossiping about people at, at the job. And then we heard a bah. You know, it sounded to me like Rick knocked over the uh, uh, bookcase. 
Robin had a big long bookcase almost to the ceiling. And that's what it sounded like, like the bookcase fell. And and Rick was drunk anyway. He probably you know, right away before we we didn't even run in there. I said, Rick probably knocked the bookcase down, he drunk, you know, like that. So finally we took our time. I didn't go in first, Robert went in first. Robert went in and he starts screaming and and then I noticed I thought he was screaming at Rick, but then that was a different kind of scream. It was a scream of horror. I said, What the hell's going on? So I go in the bedroom to see what's going on and what happened was Rick had shot himself in the head. And I said, well, I said, I said to Robert, what the fuck? Now I knew I used to live there with Robert as a roommate for about a month. And I knew that Robert had a gun. When I lived there for a month, Robert said he had a gun underneath the mattress and the bullets was in the closet. And I said to Robert, I said, well, because he was afraid that somebody was going to come up the fire escape. Because his bedroom, there was a fire escape in his bedroom. That they were going to kick the window in and whatever. Well, Robert was in a lot of, doing a lot of shit. So, I was staying there for, for a month. You know, and I knew that I had, you know, who knows what was going to happen there with the shit that Robert was doing. And I and I joked with Robert. I said, Robert, by the time I get, get time somebody try to kick the window in. And I get the gun and go to the closet and put the bullets in the gun. I'll be dead. You know. You talking to a fat kid here. So anyway, I knew where the gun, who gunner was. But I said, well, Robert, well, well, what is he doing with the gun? And then Robert says to me, he was playing with the gun. He caught Rick on the roof shooting the gun. And I said, well, why, why didn't you just, you know, why didn't you take the gun away? He said he did. He hit it. He hit the gun someplace else. Obviously, Rick had hit the gun, obviously, from Robert, because Robert, you know. So anyway... Robert, uh, Rick had shot himself here, and then his head was on the bed, and the, the blood was coming through his eyes. The blood was coming through his eyes. Talk about Halloween. Halloween, uh, <laughs> 1983. The blood was coming out of his eyes. And I said to Robert, and I took the gun, and I threw the gun into the, into the, to the closet. And I said, I said, Robert, this is your, your, and I'm cursing at Robert and everything. And Robert looked at me and said, what are you doing? What are you doing? I said, we got to take the body and throw the body in the Hudson River. He looks at me and he goes, we didn't kill uh, Rick. I said, who's going to believe that? He said, Rick killed him, so we didn't kill Rick. So he took the gun out of there and he put the gun in Rick's hand. And, and we called the police. And the police came. Uh, by this time, the, the, uh, they tried to revive Rick. They was reviving. We was in the kitchen. They were reviving him. They was trying to. The, the medics was trying to. Well, let's put it, Rick was gone. Rick was gone. So there was two, two detectives. One detective took me in the hallway to interrogate me, and the other detective kept Robert in the apartment and interrogate him. Two detectives. Then, after they got the, uh, his story, my story, then they switched. Robert's detective came out in the hallway and interrogate me, and my detective went into the apartment and interrogate Robert. Okay? Then the two got together and put their notes together, and then one came to me and took out his handcuffs. He said, You're under arrest. I said, Arrest for what? He said, you're under arrest for killing Rick for Robert. 
I burst out. Mind you now, I was smoking dust, snorting cocaine, drinking rum. That was the most ridiculous thing I heard in my whole life. I laughed and laughed and laughed. And I said to the detective, you really think that I'm going to kill a man for that bitch? I said, I kept saying, you think I'm going to kill a man for that bitch? And then they got together again and talked. And then they came to both of us and said that it appeared that Rick had committed suicide. Now, let me tell you what happened. I, I forgot one bit piece why they came to that a conclusion. The reason why they came to that conclusion is because they both asked me, asked both of us, what gun was the Rick's, was in Rick's hand. Rick's had the gun in one hand. I I couldn't tell what, what I just picked I just picked a uh, I don't know I don't know if Rick was right handed or left handed. Being that I was right handed, I said right hand. I have a and then afterwards Robert said left hand because Rick was left handed. I didn't know uh, Rick was left handed. Nobody told me Rick was left handed. Most people were right handed. Anyway, that was why they came to the conclusion that I killed Rick for Robert. And that was Halloween 1983. That. That seeing that blood coming out of Rick's eyes, dead, gave me nightmares. I mean, I mean nightmares. And I couldn't understand. And that's when it was very interesting because after that happened, I couldn't understand how people, Halloween, weren't all this gory on Halloween. Well, I lived gory. When you, when you really live that, it is not the same as watching it, a Hollywood movie. It is not the same. I had nightmares of Rick with the blood coming out of his eyes. Nightmares. Now, how I got sober after that, that's another story. I'll save that for another podcast. But I just want to say that those three stories was my Halloween, Halloween 1979, Halloween 1980, and Halloween 1983. Now, I had to stop drinking, drugging. Angel Dust was my friend at the time, but Angel Dust kept getting me in trouble. So, this is Eric. And I hope you enjoy yourself listening to this horror story on Halloween 2020. That's the craziness that lives inside my head. What is this spell on you?